The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Before we begin, I want to let you know that tonight's show includes a third short segment. It's the testimonial of a former intelligence agent. In March 1997, an event known as the Phoenix Lights became the most infamous UFO sighting in history. A mile-wide vessel, clearly not man-made, flew slowly and silently over the state of Arizona and was witnessed by 10,000 people, including the governor of Arizona. To date, there has been no reasonable explanation. But for every witness interviewed, the craft was as real as anything they'd ever seen. Their lives were transformed. They now believe that we truly are not alone. However, there is another truth, for I know what they really saw. So after you're done with tonight's interview, proceed to segment three and let me know what you think. It's riveting information, and it shows us how we are living on the precipice of reality. And tonight's special guest returns after three years. His recollection of lifelong encounters with a hybrid being he calls Betty are riveting. By his own admission, he's no longer holding back, but telling what he has experienced and remembered fully. Tonight, he discusses the reckoning with all new facts and content never shared before with the public. We'll discuss the true story of the sad decline and mysterious death of Tobias, plus recent revelations from Betty are disclosed and the December 8th quote-unquote disclosure from a retired Israeli general and academic, Chaim Hashed. He'll reveal here what he held back till now. Are you ready? You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, Divinia water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. And as it's customary, when someone returns to Veritas, we don't have to read their bio. Terry Lovelace is his name. He's a special guest. And I would highly suggest that before you listen to this interview, if you haven't, go back to when we conducted our very first interview. It was a Vox Populi, his very first public appearance, where he discussed incident at Devil's Den. His bio is right on our website at veritasradio.com. His website is terrylovelace.com. And the new book is titled... Devil's Dead. The Reckoning, which I'm told is number one on Amazon. Terry Lovelace joins us directly from Dallas, Texas. Hello, Terry, and welcome back. How are you? 
Hi, Mel. I'm great, thank you. It's nice to be back with you. It's been, uh, what, uh, three years, right, since we last uh, had you on? And I believe this was your first appearance here. But after that, the world opened for you. Can you tell me, what has, how has the world welcomed your story? You know, Veritas was my first, uh, my first public uh, appearance, my first public uh, speaking engagement about the uh, uh, incident at Devil's Den. And, and I credit it with opening a doorway for me. And uh, um, I'm happy to say that the book went to number one uh, and stayed number one on and off for almost a year. And uh, I've been fortunate. My second book, which I published right around Christmas time, uh, hit number one in new releases and is um, back and forth between uh, being number one and number two. It is now ranked uh, number two in occult and unexplained mysteries, number three in UFOs and number four in occult UFOs. So um, very grateful for that. Well, congratulations. But I remember our last, our first chat, I remember I tried to grab as much information from your story. I always do that. I always try to go in chronological order, just to, do we have no, no stones unturned. But more things have occurred, more information has surfaced, and I learned a few things that I didn't know before. Why don't, why don't we begin in chronological order of the things that you didn't say before that you are now saying? Well, there, there, there have been things that have happened. Um, there, there were stories that weren't included in Incident at Devil's Den, uh, specifically the ones about my early childhood. And the reason for that was my editor said, you know, look, you've covered your stuff as, that happened to you as a kid already. And, uh, you know, you don't want to make your whole book devoted to your childhood experiences. So, um, you know, and that always uh, that always kind of bugged me. So I, 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 I think that the stories are important. So I, I made sure that they got out in Devil's Den, The Reckoning. Well, they were already written, so that was easy. So you, you are filling the blanks now, basically. Correct, correct. And, you know, <clears throat> if you read the prologue to Incident at Devil's Den, I tell the story about uh, 32-year-old Rodney Letterman from Bartlesville, Oklahoma, who came down with his friend uh, to, to walk the Butterfield Trail you know, which is the old stagecoach line from 1859. Uh, it's now a paved, it's a, it's a nice, nice hiking trail now, paved and, and uh, very easy to, so I hear, I've never been. <laughs> but um, Mr. Letterman and a friend were walking and they were a mile or so into their walk. And uh, this is a Saturday afternoon. Rodney realizes uh, um, that he left his inhaler in the truck and he's having an asthma attack. So I asked his friend, would you run back to the truck for me and grab my inhaler? And friend says, sure, no worries. Friend goes back, picks up the inhaler, runs back, and there's no Rodney Letterman, just his cell phone on the ground. Now, I don't know about you, but my cell phone's either in my hand or in my pocket. Um, and and uh, he knew that. It's, it's like a limb now, an extra limb that we'll carry. <laughs> it is. It is. And, and he knew that his friend couldn't have gone very far because he was in the middle of an asthma attack. And the terrain's rough off of the trail. So he notifies park officials, and they took it very seriously, and they started an uh, investigation. And at the time I published Incident at Devil's Den, he had not been found. There were no details. It was just he was just, had just vanished. Uh, in March of 2019, uh, there was a young couple walking on the Butterfield Trail, and the, the lady says to her companion, is that an albino turtle? And her, her friend says, what? And he looks and on a log parallel with the trail in plain sight, right in the middle 
is placed what looked what they what she thought was an albino turtle. Um, and he walked. They walked over to investigate. He picked it up and realized it was the top of a human skull, bleached white in the sun. And uh, that's an area that's that's passed by hundreds of people a day. Uh, and it was there, open and obvious, in plain view. And uh, it seems like a message to me. Yeah, the uh, Bartlesville Medical Examiner verified it through DNA evidence that it was, in fact, the very top of Rodney Letterman's skull. Um, and that's all they ever found of him. But I promised an update on Rodney Letterman's story, and, and that's it. Any correlation? Um, before, before we continue, you mentioned him by name, David Polite. Polite is a friend of this show who, by the way, his son recently passed away. So our thoughts and prayer are with the Belides family. But any correlation between, for what, what, what David has written for years, the mysterious disappearances, and any of these stories? You know, it makes sense to me. Yes, I think there's a huge correlation between the two. I think David suspects that uh, and may be reticent to say it out loud, may be reticent to say it publicly. Uh, you know, but I suspect that if if we had a private conversation, he might be a little more can, candid. Um you know, those people go somewhere. Uh, those disappearances, I've read those books. As a matter of fact, volume four in the Missing 411 series is called The Devil is in the Details. Yes. And the history of Devil's Den State Park is laid out in his book. And with, you know, going back to the one that I mentioned, the 1946 disappearance of Catherine Van Alst, who was missing for, uh, she was found on the seventh day. The day that it was at the end of that day, it was going to transition from rescue to a recovery. Um, and a uh, young man who was a volunteer from the Arkansas State College, a university nearby named Porter Chadwick, found her on top of a, a cliff or a, like a, a precipice that was 600 some feet in elevation and some miles away from the campsite where she went missing and a place that had been searched twice before. And he was walking around the top of the plateau and he's just calling out Catherine. And she stepped out from underneath a limestone overhang and said, here I am. And he ran over and scooped her up and said, my God, are you OK? And she says, yeah, I'm fine. And he says, well, how did you get up here? And she says, I don't know. I woke up here this morning and I thought I'd just wait for you to come and find me. And. You know, there there are stories in the uh, Pittsburgh press that I found independently, also stories in the Kansas City Star. And the mother is quoted as, as saying that her hair was clean, that other than a few insect bites, she was fine. They, uh, She was examined by a medical doctor, found she hadn't lost an ounce of weight and was well hydrated. And there's no potable water on top of that, on top of that limestone bluff whatsoever. And, uh. They ask her, well, where have you been? And she says, I don't know. All I know is I was playing around the camper one minute. And the next minute I woke up up there. So, you know, I sure would have liked to have found her. I don't know. Uh, I tried. Uh, unfortunately, Van Ost is a very common name. And, uh, you know, there was there was no one that I talked to that knew of a Catherine Van Ost. Um, but we know she was a historical figure because her pictures in the Kansas City Star uh, news story. Um, do you know? Do you know if she was wearing shoes on top of that bluff? Because that's, as you know, Where she was wearing flip flops, hmm. shower sandals, and a bathing suit. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, good question about the shoes. Yeah, she had her shoes. 
Because that's the common denominator of a lot of these disappearances. If they appear somewhere else, you know, first of all, the shoes are left behind, and then they appear somewhere else. The ones who are, who, who can I say, recovered or reappear, even, you know, a two-year-old that appeared 60 miles away, no shoes, and appears totally unharmed. I mean, this is really incredible stuff. And, you know, I know that David is reticent to, to talk about any uh, paranormal aspect of it because he wants to give credibility to the story. But as you said, if we were all having a beer, you know, yes. the three of us in a you know fireplace would probably be saying otherwise. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, and I, I admire his journalistic credibility and his... Uh, right. Um, you know, he doesn't speculate. He doesn't make assumptions, doesn't speculate, doesn't draw conclusions. What he does is he does a very neat job, like any good investigator would do, of, um, you know, compiling, uh, just, you know, doing a spreadsheet, doing an Excel spreadsheet. And uh, with that, he's been able to find all these commonalities and really develop this into uh, what turns out to be a worldwide phenomenon. And I'm pretty sure that the national parks and U.S. Forest Service are not too happy about that work because they make a lot of money from park entrances and the tickets and all that, and they don't want the bad publicity, but people should know. But anyway, but go back, going back to your story, I, I want to go back for a second with Toby. I remember I asked you during our first uh, interview about Toby and what happened to him, and, and there were a few things that were not, didn't make sense, and, you know, why would he all of a sudden disappear from the map? Can you tell us from this new installment what you found about Toby and also the FBI agent friend of yours, Frank, and some of the things that he told you and he apparently lied to you? Tell me more. Yes. You know, and I've had some very unflattering uh, responses from uh, law enforcement. And you know what? I'm not trying to tar everyone with the same brush here. I've got nothing but respect for law enforcement. I was a member of law enforcement as a prosecutor for years and, uh, um, but the truth is the truth. It's veritas, right? It's the truth. And right. uh, the guy did tell me um, incorrectly that he had passed away. The story goes like this. I was in the early 80s. Um, and I don't remember if I put it in Incident at Devil's Den, but um, Tammy, uh, Toby's ex, contacted my wife um, in the early 80s and uh, she had married a long-haul truck driver who was taking a load from – they were living in the Los Angeles area, and he was taking a load to uh, Detroit, Michigan. And she was going to ride with him. Uh, you know, their kids were staying with Grandma and Grandpa, so it was just them two on the road. She'd never been on the road before, so she's traveling with her husband and said, you know, we're going to pass right by right by uh, Lansing, Michigan. You guys want some company? And we're like, sure, we'd love your company. Um, so she stopped by, and uh, – we, I wanted to talk about Toby a lot more than I had a chance to do, but it was a little awkward with her new husband there. Uh, but what she was able to say uh, was that um, Toby had a problem uh, with alcohol. And, you know, it wasn't so much that he was a day drinker or a frequenter of bars. Um, but during the morning, he was fine. During the afternoon, he was OK. During the early evening, he was nervous. And he was terrified, terrified at the prospect of closing his eyes and going to sleep. And he would begin a couple hours before bedtime just pounding the vodka uh, until he passed out. Um, that was his way of avoiding, you know, because when you're asleep, you're vulnerable. And that's when the monsters come in. So, 
You know, and I, I can somewhat uh, relate to that. I, I can't deny that I had my struggles, too, uh, especially with the night and going to sleep. Um, you know, I still uh, suffer from PTSD-like symptoms. Uh, for instance, I won't, I won't cut across an open field ever. I'll walk a mile around, around if I have to, but uh, I, I, I just feel terrified, vulnerable at the, at the idea of walking across an open field. So Toby's, uh, you know, when, when you drink like that, you know, you're robbed of your REM sleep and it has all kinds of ramifications and, uh, you know, things can go downhill pretty quickly. And, um, and by the way, too, just, for, for the listeners, I mean to, to interject, but for the listeners, if, if what we're discussing here doesn't make sense or there's some disconnects, I highly suggest that you go back to our interview from 2018, March 2018, and listen to it first. That that way, when you come back here, if you haven't listened, a lot of what we're going to be discussing will make sense. I just don't want to repeat too much of what we did before. Yes. In, in, in a sentence, uh, my friend Toby and I were um, abducted by aliens from a campsite, in uh, a remote campsite at Devil's Den State Park in northwest Arkansas in 1977. So, But, yeah, Toby... Uh, drank so much that it had a terrible effect on his life and uh, interfered with his with his job. He was discharged from the Air Force early. I don't know the circumstances of his discharge and, and wouldn't speculate. Um, and he he had just a sad life. I, I tried to contact him in 1981, uh, two years, three years after I, I uh, got out of the military, and I had his dad's phone number in Flint. Because remember, we worked together for three years. We were, we were tight. And um, I called his dad, and I said, I'm trying to reach my old friend. Uh, is he around? Pardon me just one second. Um, is he around? And his dad said, uh, no, I'm sorry. Toby is uh, stays here now and then, but uh, I'm not sure where he's at, which to me implied he might be homeless uh, or at least insecure housing wise. And, uh, so I said, well, please take my number and have him call me as soon as you see him again. And he promised he would, he knew who I was. So, uh, I thought, well, I'll hear from him sometime soon. And, you know, six months passed and I hadn't heard from him. And I called the old guy back and the number that, uh, I called was disconnected. And Tammy was able to fill in the dots. What, what happened was that, uh, Toby was going from job to job. His employment was very, uh, insecure. And, um, he, uh, was continuing to drink and, uh, it was a, a sad story in that he was, uh, the family made the decision that Toby could take over the family home because the dad had passed away. So they decided to deed the home to Toby and hopefully that would allow him to have some kind of security. And what happened was he lost it for non-payment of taxes and ended up without a house anyway. So um, she has no idea where he had been since. Um, and uh, yeah, in the in the mid eighties, I, I spoke with an FBI agent, uh, someone I was working with, and uh, we kind of became friends. And we'd have a beer at the at the bar on the weekends on Friday night after work. And uh, I asked him, I said, you know, I'm trying to locate a, a buddy of mine I was in the Air Force with. Do you think you could help me find him? And he said, and this is FBI humor, 
sure, I can find anybody so long as they're not a fugitive. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.